Before I get to my next guest, Mitch Lawrence, I want to remind you about Two Under, men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2, U-N-D-R.com. 2under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too, so spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scony.com and use code NXT on T20, so next on T20, at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com, they're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. All right. Now back in next on the tee with me is another one of the favorite people that I've gotten to meet through this show, and that is Mitch Lawrence. For years, Mitch hosted a great podcast of his own called Talking Golf Getaways. He is one of the great experts on Hickory Golf Clubs and the history of the game. When people ask me, who would you put in your dream foursome? Well, Mitch Lawrence and his brother Matthew are certainly two of those people. And like I said about John Patrick last week, it is true for Mitch as well. Our game is better because Mitch Lawrence is involved with it. And I'm honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Mitch, how are you, my friend? Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> how are you, Mitch? I'm, I'm doing great. And I was saying that every time I'm on this show, when you introduce me, uh, I, I couldn't possibly explain to people what a warm feeling it is and how glad I am to know you and be your friend and have a chance to talk to you. I can't put it any other way. No, I appreciate that very much. The feeling is All right, before we. Before we get started, okay. I know you're a big fan of Pebble Beach. I am. And you love the Pebble Beach tournament. I do. And all, all the history. Yes. So I have something special that I recorded. Uh-oh. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Bing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Chris. Happy birthday to you. Chris, this is Bing Crosby. Just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> Hope you have a great day tomorrow, my friend. Keep I appreciate playing. you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I wouldn't dare sing it myself, but I figure if I hide behind somebody, it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> and it did. Thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate it. Happy birthday, you. man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mitch, um, I want to get your thought. Um, earlier in the show, Tom Patrick and I were kicking around 
greatest players of all time. And there's arguments to be had for lots of different players. And we, and Tom and I are certainly going to go at it between Jack and Tiger. Um, but want to get your thoughts. You're a great historian. Who are, who are the top five players in history in your mind? Oh, well, I, this is too tough a question. Top five is too tough a question as far as the history part goes. What I will say, and this, we'll talk about this part in a little bit, but I'm going to, if it's okay with you. Sure. Uh, you say I'm a great historian. I am not. I am somebody who is interested in the history of the game, for sure. Not even close. But uh, you and I are going to talk about a trip I took to Pinehurst last week, yes. last week with two of the actual great golf historians I've ever been around. Stephen Proctor, who's an author, uh, who I'll talk to you about, and Tim Alpaw. And both of them together, and I described it to some friends of mine as spending three days feeling like a kid in kindergarten in a room full of PhDs. And being with Stephen and Tim is is really, in terms of golf history, I, I can't even explain the knowledge that these two guys have. So I say that by way of saying that I'm just somebody who's interested in the game. So I would say, and I don't know about top five, not top five, uh, but Prior to Bobby Jones, where golf kind of exploded here, um, the great golfers that made up the early history of the game were first from Scotland, which makes sense, uh, and then from England, which followed. And thanks to, in large part, because people know, if anybody has kind of an awareness of the history of the game, they'll know about the famous names of the game. And the famous names, you know, early on being obviously Old Tom and Young Tom, uh, the first two great names in the game. And I don't want to kind of get into any of that stuff. Uh, but they, what they might not be as aware of are the other great players who came first. And I'm just going to I'm not going the greatest because to me, there's no way to do it. It's, you know, we can talk in this era about Tiger and Jack and have that debate because that's pretty, they're separate from all the other great players based on number of events, one based on majors, that kind of stuff. But there were so many interesting, incredible players early on. And for you and for anybody listening, if you just close your eyes and try to imagine playing golf in the conditions of the 1800s and early 1900s with hickory clubs, uh, with shaggy fairways and greens, with balls that didn't fly and all of that, that's the part that I concentrate on. And so the guys that I have come to kind of learn about, some of them recently, um, and people may have heard of, and I would certainly put... Uh, the guys that are called the great triumvirate, you know, and I think people may have heard of them. Certainly Harry Varden, people know about um, because of the, a lot of people know about him only because of Francis Wimet in the 1913 Open. Uh, but Harry Varden, who won the Open six times and the U.S. Open in 1900. Ted Ray won the Open in 1912 and the U.S. Open in 1920. Uh, and James Braid, who I have, I love Harry Varden and Ted Ray. 
for different reasons, which I won't really go into here. But if people want to read and get to know about them, they're they're just ridiculously great figures in the game. Um, I especially, for some reason, was even though I love Harry Varden and his story, Ted Ray always fascinated me. They were both from a small town in England called Jersey. These two guys who were iconic came from the same town. Ted Ray was a big, burly kind of guy who played with a pipe in his mouth and, you know, wearing a jacket. We look at the players today wearing their stretch things and, you know, joggers and everything. Ted Ray played in a heavy kind of wool jacket with a pipe in his mouth and a hat and would routinely hit the ball 300 yards. Literally, routinely hit wow. the ball 300 yards. And there are stories about when he and Varden and Ray came over and did a very famous tour of the United States um, before that open against Francis Wimet. And there are stories about Ted Ray at East Lake, and he teed off, and I can't remember which hole it was, but they had people, there were big crowds that followed these guys. And Ted Ray got up and he hit a drive and nobody could see it. They literally couldn't see it. And then they realized that he had hit it, whatever the distance, 50 yards by anybody they had ever seen hit a ball. Wow. So it bounced in a place that they had never seen anybody hit it to. And he did it all the time. And so he was one of my favorites. But James Braid, great Scotsman who won five Open Championships early on. But also any of your listeners who have been to Scotland and may have had, and this is what really started to get to me, was getting to play courses that were designed. And we all know about old Tom Morris and the courses he designed. But James Braid designed a whole ton of courses. So if you go to Glen Eagles, where they played the Ryder Cup, but on the modern course, and you get to play Glen Eagles King's course, which Braid designed, or you go to Brora in the Highlands, I think you've probably heard about Brora, um, where there are still sheep on the fairway and animals out there. And, and these courses, which are virtually untouched, are really when you begin to understand the effect that these guys had on the game. So... I would say those guys, there's a couple other just to throw names out who I love. And I came to know about this guy through Stephen Proctor. And Stephen's first book was called Monarch of the Green about young Tom Morris, which is both his books are absolutely phenomenal. If you like writing about golf, not just about history, but someone who's a great writer and grabs you and takes you through these eras. Stephen Proctor is the guy. His first book was about Tom Morris, Young Tom. The second one was called, is called The Long Golden Afternoon. And it's about the people who followed Young Tom Morris when, when he died at 25, tragically, through the early part of the 1900s. And the guys that came after him and literally changed the game. And those are the ones that I never knew about, Chris. And I've read about, you know, a lot of golfers, but I had never heard of these guys. So rather than get into a whole long dissertation about the history of the game, <laughs> my my favorite guy who I found out about through Stephen, he has an unbelievable part of the long golden afternoon, is a guy named John Ball Jr. Do you know who John Ball Jr. is? I do not. Okay. John Ball Jr. And in a way, this he may be 
And there are a lot of great, great Scottish and English players and players in the United States, which I won't go into now. But over there, there was, you know, the professionals were the guys who were winning all the early open championships. And John Ball Jr., who was an Englishman and was the first Englishman and the first amateur to win the open championship. And the change that made, which I wasn't aware of until I read Stephen's book, this was in 1890. Now, he also, oh, by the way, won eight British amateurs between 1888 and 1912. Eight of them. Wow. And then when, I, when he won the Open and was the first amateur and the first Englishman, that opened the floodgates. And golf tra started traveling down through England from Scotland. And so those kind of changes to me are the exciting ones. And also he was... Uh, you know, what you read about, and there's another guy named Freddie Tate. There's a guy named George Duncan, who I got to love reading about. Um, George Duncan was this big, tall guy and reportedly was the fastest player to play the game. He was literally known for being the fastest player to play the game. So I think of him now, if I watch, I won't name names, but if I watch some players on the tour now who take a long time, <laughs> you know, I won't mention names. <laughs> but then I go back and I think of people like George Duncan, who was literally known for being the fastest guy to play. He had no he didn't waste any time, period. So anyway, those are just kind of random thoughts off the top of my head. I would I would suggest people get Stephen's book, The Long Golden Afternoon and and learn something about him. There you go. All right. So let's talk about the other thing that you alluded to. Because you spent mm -hmm. some time over at Pinehurst and Tobacco Road, and the pictures you've taken from that trip are absolutely stunning. Talk about the trip that you just came off from. Well, there's a there's a connection. I got to, as I said, spend three days with three of my absolute favorite people. And I know all of us who are on social media, there's a lot of negative stuff. There's a lot of things we're not crazy about. But the great thing to me about social media is the connections that you make with people who are of like mind and especially in the game. And three of those people um, are Stephen Proctor, as I said, the author, uh, Tim Alpaw, who's on Instagram at Claret Dreamer. Uh, Tim is also an author. He wrote a wonderful book called Claret Dreams, but he is a master craftsman. He's a carpenter by trade although he was in the world of finance before, but he's a carpenter by trade and then got into uh, the hickory world. And he's a, a master hickory craftsman, a restorer of old clubs. Uh, he makes tremendous divot repair tools that are really creative out of wood. He's just a fabulous guy. And he, again, is another absolute gem of a historian and a great person, both he and Stephen. And then also with Jason Bruno, uh, I don't know if you know Jason Bruno. He's on um, Twitter and Instagram at Lynx Nation. And Jason is fascinating. He knows as much about the modern game as Stephen and Tim know about the historic game. Uh, he's an incredible traveler. His website, which is LynxNation.com, uh, is full of equipment and course reviews and just everything that you love about somebody who really knows the game. And he started off and still is in the world of turf, you know, superintendents and very connected to the people who make the courses we play 
wonderful places to go. So all of this wrapped together were three guys who I spent three days and nights in a house with. And I can't begin to tell you, any of us who've been on buddy trips kind of deals, this was this was an absolute gem of a trip to Pinehurst. So um, we all went, uh, got to play Southern Pines. I don't know how familiar you are with Southern Pines. Um, it's an old Donald Ross course. He first laid out holes there in 1906. Uh, and it was, it opened as a full course, I think in either 23 or 24. And for a long time, now think about golf being played in Pinehurst and Donald Ross, one of his first layouts and then proceed ahead. And in 1951, uh, it was sold to a guy, a local guy in Southern Pines, which is where it is. And then it uh, came under the ownership and management of the Elks Club, if you can believe that. Wow. And for various reasons, they had it until just very recently. Uh, so the first time I got to play it, and this just shows you, here are the connections. Uh, and this will take you to Tobacco Road, where we also played. Um, but Mark Stewart, who is the owner of Tobacco Road and an absolute treasure of a human being i could spend an entire show with you talking about how great mark stewart is but uh we're good friends and i've played different places with him and one day we were going to meet up kind of looking for a place in between um myrtle beach and pinehurst and then he said speaking of pinehurst have you played southern pines this was probably three years ago now and i said no and i really wasn't aware of it and most people weren't because it was run by the Elks. And frankly, it wasn't in great shape. It was just kind of a rundown property. And he said, okay, meet me at Southern Pines. So I did. And we walked this course. And even though it was not in great shape and kind of run down and the clubhouse was run down, I won't go any further. The core, the bones of this course blew me away, totally blew me away. And the fact that I hadn't even heard about it. So fast forward uh, Kelly Miller, who is part of the great uh, Peggy Kirk Bell family, who uh, heads up Pine Needles and Mid Pines, has been eyeing Southern Pines to kind of complete a Donald Ross triumvirate, you know, in Pine in the Pinehurst area for a number of years. And just recently, uh, they mat now Kelly uh, and the group manage Southern Pines, uh, and they will take full ownership soon. I'm not sure of those dates. Um, so the course has been redone in a lot of ways already. Trees have been removed and the green complexes have been worked on and, and it is now just an absolute gem. And so I got to play it before the renovation and restoration and then last week. And, uh, it's, it's everything you want in a golf course. It has unbelievable elevation changes. The green complexes are exactly what you'd expect from Donald Ross. Uh, it's a challenging golf course, but it is absolutely visually beautiful. Uh, I think a lot of people haven't had it on their Pinehurst list because there are obviously so many great places to play. But uh, so I give credit to Mark Stewart for opening my eyes. Uh, they're going to have uh, Kyle Franz, who did the restoration work on Mid Pines and Pine Needles, both, which are if... If your listeners haven't been there, you absolutely have to get to. The courses at Pinehurst Resort are very famous. But Mid Pines and Pine Needles are just spectacular. 
So we got to play Southern Pines one day. Uh, Tim and Stephen, who are hickory players as I am, as you know, three of us playing our hickories, which was really great. And Jason, who's a modern guy, was just bombing. Jason is a player. Jason can really play. And so we got to Southern Pines. He played his moderns from the back tees. And we moved up and played it from the forward tees and had an absolute blast. And the next day we went to uh, Tobacco Road, which, as you know, is, I don't know, to me, heaven on earth for a whole lot of reasons. Um, and Mark Stewart was gracious. And Morgan Stevenson, who's the head super there, they do an unbelievable job. And uh, the tandem of an old Donald Ross course and Tobacco Road, which was Mike Strand's you know, one of his masterpieces, certainly, but that pays a lot of debt to the old time designers. Uh, it's a great combination. Absolutely wonderful combination. Mitch, I got to switch gears uh, on you a little bit because I, I, I saw something that you posted speaking of all the great places that you've had an opportunity to go play and looking back at the masters and, and the terrible weather conditions that they had on Friday and Saturday. You played in similar conditions last year at Aiken Golf Club and then said <laughs> it was one of the most fun rounds you've ever played. How could that be? Well, I, I've played, any of us who've traveled and played, I've been lucky enough to go to Scotland five or six times, played in all kinds of weather, horrible weather, rain, the whole thing. Uh, played at Bandon and with Darren, who I co-hosted the podcast with, and Brian Orr and Jason Deegan. Uh, from Golf Pass, and the four of us played Pacific Gales in an absolute, I don't even know what to call it, because it had all weather that you, I mean, it literally hailed, rained, sun, uh, flurries of snow, 50 mile an hour winds. It was completely nuts. So I played in a lot of different weather. Every time it's turned out to be, my wife always says this, if you go on a trip and everything runs perfectly, you may have a great time, but it's not really memorable. It's the times that are off the board, weird, strange, strange things happen. Those are the times you remember. So the rounded Pacific Dunes with Darren and Brian and Jason will always be one of the great days we've ever had on a golf course. I mean, I putted on Pacific Dunes, one of the par fives. I putted from 108 yards off one of the greens oh because the wind was that strong behind us. And we just, the, the laughs that we had were stupid. So this round at Aiken, I have played Aiken and had played it before. And I had a very good friend of mine, um, Sarah Stewart, her name is. She's on uh, Instagram. A lot of people follow her. She's Canadian. She's a doctor. She's a golf fanatic and works hard. She's a traveling doctor, works hard and saves her money and then goes all over the place all over the world to play golf. So she was coming to the Masters and she was going to the Monday after the Masters in Myrtle Beach. She drove all over the place. And I said, okay, if you're going to be in Augusta, I got to meet you at Aiken because it's one of my favorite places on the planet. So we set up to meet at Aiken and I, I've known her for a long time on social media and I had never met her. So we meet at Aiken and it is like 10 o'clock in the morning and it is absolutely pouring. And I mean, when I say pouring, I'm not talking about just a little rain. So we get there and I said to her, are you sure you want to do this? And she said, absolutely. Not even close. So we go into the pro shop. We tell the guys we want to go play. 
There's literally nobody on the golf course. I was sure that they were going to say, no, I'm sorry, the greens are flooded or the these guys and Aiken, people have to go to Aiken. It's the it's one of the best municipal golf courses you'll ever play. And the, the people that run it are insanely great. So the guy behind the counter says, says to us, you sure you want to go out in this? And we went, oh, yeah, we're going. So he said, fine, be our guest. Go ahead. We so we said, fine, we get out there. And on the first tee, I'm standing on the first tee and there's lightning and there's it's just it's pouring. It's a deluge. And so Sarah and I, we went around. And I when I say it might be the most fun I've had, I'm not kidding, because, you know, this, Chris, it's all about your attitude. You have so many people on your show that talk about your attitude on the golf course. And we just both said we are fully embracing this, whatever it is. And so we were hitting shots. We hit some great shots in the rain. Uh, there was water all over the place, fairways, greens, putted through the water on the greens. And we kept waiting for them to come out and get us, and they never did. And the only time we went inside for any time at all was on my phone, I got a notice that had a tornado warning on. Oh, and I said, OK, I think maybe we should go inside for a little while. <laughs> and we were both completely soaked. I had full rain gear on. It totally didn't matter. I was soaked. So was Sarah. We went inside. She changed clothes. I got a different shirt. We sat down for a little while. And then we went back out and we finished 18. <laughs> so I, I'm just one of those that goes embrace the whole thing. Embrace the whole stinking thing. If they <laughs> let us out, we're going to play. So <laughs> I'm awful. glad you caught that, though. It was yeah. it was fun. <laughs> I one more before I let you go, and I got to get some insider information from you. My buddies and I were coming over to Myrtle Beach for our buddies trip this year. We're going to be playing Caledonia Golf and Fish Club, and then True Blue Country Club. You got to give me a little insider information. How do I beat these guys? What what what's a, a piece that you know about those two uh, wonderful courses that I can use as uh, insider information and get a, get a little edge on them? Okay, well, I right off the bat, I've been in Myrtle Beach for twenty five years li living here, but about thirty something working in Myrtle Beach. Um, there are obviously great courses all over, and I could name a bunch of. But Caledonia, if I had to pick one course to play above all, Caledonia would be my course. I'm a big Mike Strands guy, have been since the first time I ever heard about him, which was way back when Caledonia was being built. So I saw it before it was even open to the public. And Caledonia is just, to me, heaven on earth. It's the best low country example of playing golf down here that you'll find. Uh, visually, it's absolutely stunning. It's Mike Strands. It's not long, but uh, the green complexes are great. Um, as far as beating those guys, I'm trying to think, Chris, because it's the course is kind of right in front of you. You know, there's not much at this point. He's, he did different things at Tobacco Road and Royal New Kent and Toddhill Farm and other courses. But Caledonia is right in front of you. I think maybe a good strategy is to keep saying to these guys, take a look around you. <laughs> Get them to look elsewhere than the golf course. 
<laughs> and you kind of just focus on the shots in front of you because they're there. The shots are there in front of you. All right. True Blue, True Blue is, uh, he built that course. He went away after Caledonia and then he came back and built True Blue. And uh, Caledonia is kind of intimate. It's an intimate golf course. True Blue is big and bold. Uh, as a matter of fact, when he first built True Blue, it was so big and bold and so hard that they came back in and reworked it and took a little bit of the sting out of the golf course. But it still has a lot in it. Um, that one is just, is just, again, it's there in front of you, but it's big. It's a big, big golf course. So you're going to love both of them. I'm so excited that you're coming down here. When are you coming? We'll be there the 8th through the 11th of June. I'm going to make sure I come out there at some point and say hi. I hope so. I hope okay, so. Well, I hope I, I'm not I, coming yeah. all the way out there and I don't get to see Mitch Lawrence. No, no, you're good. Don't worry. That's not, that is not happening. And at Caledonia, which has one of the great porches in the clubhouse overlooking the 18th green. Yeah. So you can sit out there and watch guys come in and women come in and, you know, cheer and yell and hoot and holler. It's an absolutely <laughs> spectacular spot. And I will certainly be there to watch you come up 18. Ah, I hope so. I will be the Christmas Carol fan club. <laughs> Thank you. Mitch, before I let you go, let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media. Uh, pretty much Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is at Mitch Lawrence. It's L-A-U-R-A-N-C-E. And Instagram is at Mitch underscore Lawrence one. And those are the two places. And I, uh, I'm certainly not interacting as much as I did when Darren and I had talking golf getaways. Um, but I still put up a bunch of stuff and, uh, I love sharing it and I love meeting people through that, you know, the social media aspect of that. Certainly. Well, Mitch, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. As you know, Matthew is up next and he told me that he's glad he's going last. Because he's got some things he wants to clear up for my listeners. So I'm a little oh, nervous. Oh, I'm a little geez. nervous about unmuting his line. I got to be honest. Wait a minute. If you're nervous, how do you think I feel? <laughs> but before I go, again, I, I listened to your segment with Tom and with Keith, both of them unbelievably great guys. Um, and all of us feel the same way about you. And you know that by now. And I hope your listeners get it. Uh, fully get it because all of us are so grateful for who you are and how supportive and positive you are at every turn. It's, it's, we've all known it for a while, but there really is nobody else like you, Chris. And I just, I appreciate you. I love you. I'm, I'm happy for your success and I'll do anything I can to give you even more of it as we go. I can't tell you how much that means to me. And I'm so grateful that mitch lawrence even knows who chris mascaro is and you're, oh, a, get out of here. Get out of you're a wonderful human being and, and i love you right back <laughs> okay man i'll talk to you soon all right take Say care mitch. To my brother i will See okay. you, mitch. goodbye that is the great mitch lawrence folks and like i say he is just one of the great people you get to meet in this life as is his brother matthew though i i, I am sincere i'm a little nervous about unmuting matthew's phone line but mitch is been a wonderful supporter. He's been a, a great mentor to me over the years and just somebody that I adore. And I'm so privileged that he has come on the show now 21, 21. He's 13 times, 13 times he's come on the show and every one of those has been a gem and I'm thankful for it and looking forward to catching up with him again. Uh, when I'm up there, actually 
to see his face and to be able to say hello to him in person is going to be a huge thrill too. So looking forward to that. 